0: You. This is a quality of life issue. Hope in the face of uncertainty. Which side of
1: history will you be on?
0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to Brace for Impact. This is Catherine
1: and Laith, and today we are going to dive into the topic of waste production and recycling in our society. There are a lot of misconceptions about what is recyclable, and where our waste goes, and what needs to change on a systemic and individual level.
0: Joining us today to break down this topic is Ben Guardy head of NU Connects at Net Impact's External Affairs Committee.
1: Hi guys, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to talk to you guys about this. Yeah, thank you for coming on. We're definitely excited to have you.
0: Thank you. So to start, can you just give us a quick spiel on your background and the experiences that led you to be knowledgeable on this topic and passionate about it?
2: Yeah, sure. So I'm a third-year mechanical engineering student at Northeastern, uh, born and raised in New York City, came to Boston for school. Um, I got involved with Net Impact my second year on campus when I was uh, working in my first co-op at Living Proof, which is a women's hair care company. I was actually working as a packaging engineer and sustainability engineer focusing on a lot of their green initiatives and their plastic uh, consumption and pollution issues at the company and in the hair care world. ended up having just kind of a lucky coincidence that I was able to get involved with Net Impact and that a lot of what I learned about and what we, do, what we dove into and discussed that first semester kind of aligned with my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, once COVID hit, had to go home, obviously work from home, but was still involved with the club, became on eBoard, and a year later, still doing the same thing. Now working with the External Affairs Committee that we call NU Connects, initially was on community service, doing stuff with the greater Boston community.
1: Awesome. So, you're a mechanical engineering major, and when you took your first COB, did you want to take a COB knowing that you wanted to get into the sustainability sector, or did that just coincide with what was available and what you're interested in?
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, it definitely wasn't my first choice. It definitely, I think when you tell people, oh, I'm a mechanical engineering student working at a women's hair care company, yeah. it's not something that's often like, people are like, oh, that's interesting. For if reference, we, Ben has long hair though, so I do. A, hair, a women's hair care company might <laughs> not be <laughs> the worst. Did hair. you use
0: their products? Of
2: course, I still do. <laughs> <laughs> they gave me a lot when I left and I've been living off of it ever since. And I'm nervous about when i have two run it it's not cheap. <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was between that company and a company back home in New York that was doing, um, electron microscopy work, which is two very different (laughs) industries and fields, um, both in like the test and kind of packaging and R&D departments. I just wanted to stay in Boston, so it was just kind of happenstance and coincidence that I ended up here. It was a great experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely was one of those things where I just went into it with an open mind, and I learned way more than I ever thought I would about recycling in this country, plastic use, plastic consumption what goes into what plastics, metals, materials are chosen for all different types of products and how companies are trying to become more sustainable or limit their plastic output into the world.
0: So what did you find on this co-op about like recycling and sustainability and problems in society in general?
2: Yeah, so Living Proof (coughs) was an independent haircare company that then was acquired by Unilever. um, And they have a lot of lofty sustainability goals in the next five years mostly dealing with how much virgin plastic and how much plastic in general they're putting out into the world. So a big thing when I first came on was learning how to track all of the company's sustainability metrics, which basically was how many hundreds of thousands of pounds of plastic and aluminum and different forms of other types of metals and chemicals that we were purchasing and consuming in the form of how many units we sold. So learning about that and then combining that with how can we change what our packages are made out of was kind of the first step and like window into the recycling problems in this country and in Canada and in Europe because we were selling products nationwide or worldwide rather and had to like learn about that. So the biggest thing is like what certain things can and can't be recycled in a bin outside of your house and learning about like if I have a plastic bottle and I just throw it in the recycling bin what's going to happen to it? Mm -hmm. You would think that if that happens, oh, it's going to go to a recycling plant, somebody's going to take care of it, it's not going into the landfill, it's not going to pollute the earth. Most of the time that's not true. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing is that like there are so many different types of plastics in the world that are not curbside recyclable, and what that means basically is you can put it in the blue bin and it'll actually get recycled. Yeah. And so what we were trying to do at Living Proof was figure out, okay, what do we use that is curbside recyclable, what's not curbside recyclable, how do we make it that way? And how do we kind of close the gap between just like the consumer purchasing the project, the product and it just getting thrown out.
1: So for the people who separate their recycling the night before recycling day and put in separate bins, you're saying most of those different recyclables don't end up going and being separated into the sink piles? They just end up where your trash ends up? It depends. So
2: if you are just throwing everything into a bin, most likely a majority of it is not going to get recyclable, Mm. recycled rather, sorry. There are a lot of requirements and things that recycling plants and waste management plants will do to actually filter out a lot of the waste and just put it in with general stuff. For example, any kind of dark colored plastic, like a black or a gray plastic, when it gets recycled, can't actually get picked up when it goes to the sorting facility because how these types of plastics are recognized is they Uh, like a light is shown on them Mm -hmm. and if the light is able to be like passed through it's viewed as oh this is plastic because the idea is like oh if you're shining light on aluminum or steel or something or paper most likely it's not going to go through instead of like a clear water bottle so any kind of dark colored plastic or any kind of really vibrantly colored plastic most of the time is going to get recognized as non-recyclable waste even though the plastic it's made out of can be reused and recycled yeah so that was like one of the biggest things we had to work on was a lot of our bottles were this very kind of dark gray or dark clay color that when we tested it under these lights couldn't get picked up by the machines got it
0: so how easy is it then for companies to switch to packaging that is easy to recycle is it as simple as making it clear recycling or what other <laughs> um, struggles are there cuz you know you would think like as a consumer who doesn't know a lot about this i feel like a lot of blame is placed on individuals to make the change to reduce waste but then you know if it was if all of the products that we we're buying were easy to pick up on a screen or I'm sure there are other barriers, but if it was that easy, why aren't more companies doing it?
1: Yeah. Is it yeah, and is it that easy? Yeah. um, you
2: know, in principle and in thought, it's it's relatively easy to say, oh like let's just make it clear, why not? But there is a lot more that goes into it than just that. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of companies so much money is invested into brand identity and, and marketing that if we wanted to just say, oh, let's just make everything white. Let's mm-hmm. just make it white or let's make it green or something light that could be picked up by the, by the sensors and just say, oh, it's, it's that way. We're 100% recyclable, it's easy. It's not that easy mm-hmm. because of marketing teams and of business projections and things like that. However, it is easy to make subtle changes. You can, instead of changing the color, rather you could change the resin it's made out of. And at living, Resin
1: resin resin is
2: just another word for plastic Got it. it basically just means like if you're getting rubber or plastic from a plant or from like little pellets when it melts down that mm. melted liquid that can be formed into a bottle or a tube or whatever that's resin Got it. and there's lots of different kinds that can be recycled the most common is like polypropylene or polyethylene that's probably any kind of like squishy bottle like a toothpaste tube or a shampoo bottle mm. that's probably what it's made out of so what we want to do with living proof and what a lot of other companies have been doing is instead of changing the color so that these things can't get recycled you change the resin from being 100 percent virgin plastic which is brand new totally just formed to doing something where you use something called pcr which stands for post consumer recyclables or recycle it where you are taking other plastics that have already been used melting them down, re-dyeing them or coloring them or leaving them in kind of whatever color they're left with Mm -hmm. and then reshaping them into a new bottle. And the idea is that these resins, you're not just putting virgin plastic out into the waste stream where after one life cycle it's finished Mm -hmm. and it just gets discarded and thrown out forever. You can actually do that nearly infinite, <clears throat> an infinite amount of times. It depends on, you know, sometimes after a couple of cycles, the plastic starts to break down and can't be reformed again. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of one of the biggest ideas we had in terms of increasing recyclability. Another thing we thought of is there's lots of companies out there now mm-hmm. that will actually take products that normally wouldn't be able to be curbside recycled and they will recycle them themselves. So a company that we worked with at Living Proof oh, no. was called TerraCycle.
0: Okay.
2: Um, and companies like this exist all over the world. They have like these drop sites where you can go, it, sometimes it'll be like at a Sephora or at a CVS, where you can go and they'll say hey, we will take these certain types of products and make sure they actually get recycled. Whether it's razor blades, like dark plastic bottles, those are kind of the two most common ones that they have mm-hmm. all around the world. And so you ha- have a contract with them Where you can say to your consumers, hey, you know, we know you care about sustainability, we want you to be able to recycle your bottles and know that they're actually going to get recycled instead of just ending up back in the waste stream. Mm -hmm. Um, So working with a company like that is another way that a lot of companies have increased their sustainability.
1: So so do they do that in order to get those recycled materials to reconstruct them and make their product or is that just a different kind of avenue they can go about to say we are sustainable because we're doing this extra step to help with recyclables that wouldn't necessarily be recycled if they regularly got thrown in the bin.
2: Yeah, so I think it's both. I think that like it's a kind of what you were saying Kathleen before about how so much of it is put on the consumer. It is kind of a way for companies to go about and like put the choice on the individual like hey if you want to make this effort we are partnering with this company and you can go and take your like you're
0: responsible for it exactly, exactly. like you can it.
2: take your bottles and make sure that they will get recycled otherwise they will most likely just end up in the waste stream yeah. but what is good is that if you do decide to make that choice and it really is not that much harder than if you live in a city at least yeah. than just putting it out in the bin mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to find one of these drop-off locations and to leave the bins there I know they have like Boxes in certain stores where you can actually just go and the store will empty the box itself um, to just know that there's no way that this stuff will actually end up back in the waste stream because the company takes care of them themselves.
0: So if you just Google like drop off location for insert product. It would be easy to find online, like in your city.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I threw this comp, through TerraCycle, I mean, TerraCycle is the one that we worked with, so I know them the best, but yeah, mm-hmm. on their website, you can say, like, drop, yeah, drop off. Like, they have a whole list mm-hmm. of companies and brands that they work with, and then you can click on it, and then you can do it by like location. Well,
0: no, I think reason. that's really awesome for people to know, because I know a lot of people think, like, oh, what's the point of even recycling when they're hearing all these statistics yeah. on, like, oh, well, most cities, like, don't even recycle, and they can't really outsource recycling. That much anymore these days
1: yeah what would you say to someone who's almost skeptical of where that plastic is going like once a company has it they're like oh it's just another way for them to market their sustainable because i know like big oil companies i think it was bp who came up with the term like carbon footprint so then they could figure out a way to not be accountable for all the bad things they do like i almost am a skeptic too like oh these big corporations are getting these different plastics are they actually recycling it or are they just saying it then aiding to what we would do as individuals and putting it in our bins yeah Um, that is a good point.
2: I think with a company like TerraCycle, where they're not like a plastic manufacturer, they don't really have like any of the financial, like, um,
0: Like they're not gaining anything? Yeah, they they don't
2: have the finance, like it's, there's not, they're not gonna benefit by just discarding the plastic completely because they are getting paid to recycle this stuff properly. and I think like they have plants, like their own specific waste management plants where they will melt on the plastic and supply it if companies wanna use it as post-consumer, as a PCR material. Okay. Um, or like they, they can just ensure that it does get recycled properly because yeah. they will sift through it, they'll clean the bottles out. They also work with other companies where like a lot of companies nowadays are doing things where you can buy refillable products that come in like a, in a stainless steel or a metal container mm-hmm. and they will work with companies like Loop or is another one or TerraCycle where you give it back to them, they refill it and send it back to oh, you. Uh, and that's another great way to like, you're not technically recycling, yeah. but you're cutting down your waste. You're, yeah. you're cutting off kind of a waste stream in your life if you're buying something that comes in a, in a refillable container, mm-hmm. which a lot of companies are doing nowadays.
0: What would you say to someone who's confused about what they can and can't recycle and what the little symbols on the back of their bottles mean
2: okay yeah this is a good one and this is definitely something i learned in my last call. like i had no idea what the little one or two or three or whatever mm-hmm. so those little codes where you have it most of the time on the bottom of a plastic bottle i think sometimes it's stamped on a metal can um basically it just means what the material is and those are resin IDs. so whatever kind of resin is, whether it's high density polyethylene, low density polyethylene, polypropylene, all of these things have to be handled in different ways in order to be recycled. Um, and I believe in this country, anything with a three or a five on the bottom can be curbside recycled. I'm not 100% sure about that mm-hmm. because there's like eight or nine of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but so with something like that, most of the time, like usually the resin code or the resin itself is only used with certain products. So like a resin ID of one most of the time is used on a food container, like a yogurt container ah. or like a plastic thing that tomatoes will come in or like yeah. a little thing with the blueberries or like something like, like, like a fruit container. Things like that a lot of the time with food when it comes to be recycled, it needs to be cleaned. Like mm-hmm. you have to wash it out and then put it in the recycling bin to ensure that it will actually get processed at a recycling plant because they won't handle anything that's like soiled or dirty. Yeah. And that's another really massive issue in like the recycling world, sustainability world where if you have, like, a yogurt container that has like, a couple little, you know, like, just leftover yogurt that you're like, yeah. oh, this is empty, but I'm, I'm going to throw it out. If it goes to recycling treatment, they see that it still has food in it. It's considered soiled and can't get recycled. Mm. So things like that need to be cleaned out and washed out. And that's kind of one of the biggest tips I would have for somebody if they really want to, like, ensure that their waste is getting recycled properly. Yeah. Another thing is, like, with water bottles, um, I believe if the caps are left on them, same thing with, like, a soda bottle, mm-hmm. if the caps are left on um, those oftentimes don't get recycled. They have Is to be the because they're not off.
1: see-through? Is that, does it not pass that test? I don't
2: know if it has something to do with that or if they can't certify that it's, again, like the idea of it being soiled. Like if it, there's a little bit of liquid left in there and I it's see. closed, yeah. they're not gonna go through the effort to open it, dump it out, and then put it oh, back in the stream. that makes okay. sense, yeah. okay. Um, are thing. these people or
1: machines who are sifting through this recycling? So it
2: depends. Most of the time at some of these plants, there will be like people on the floor that will look through the waste and pull things off if it doesn't get like approved. Yeah. Of the assembly line. So, the way they sort it out is there's basically like three main systems. So, they use um, eddy currents, which are basically just like a form of radio wave to detect for metals and aluminums oh. because they, they're like it messes with the frequency of it mm-hmm. with the wave and the, it will alert the people that there are metals like a soda can or a beer can or a bottle or whatever. Mm-hmm. It'll detect that. Then they use the light to detect, to detect plastics and then I believe paper gets sorted separately. But so, the biggest thing is separating out plastics and metals. Um, So another big thing when you recycle metals is if you drink a lot of cans, whatever it is, like the tabs that you put on oftentimes come loose and get discarded and they say it's it's a good practice to put the tab actually in the can itself and to squish the can. Um, um, because it, that, again, doesn't really matter if it's see-through or not because it gets picked up by the metal detectors on the assembly lines.
1: So step on your drinks Friday and Saturday night.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Throw all the tabs in one step on it and then toss in the recycling bin, and that's, like, the easiest way for it to get detected. And then
0: if those are contaminated with, like, food or what you were calling soil, if that's, like, in a bag of stuff that you're throwing out that's to be recycled, does that like ruin the entire bag of waste? I've heard that. I don't know if that's a myth or not.
2: Yeah, I don't know exactly. You would think it would be true. Like you would think that if an item that, well, it's hard to say because when recycling people or or sanitation workers come around, they just kind of dump everything in the truck at once. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they would pick certain things out, but I'm sure if like at a certain level, they see, like, oh, a lot of this stuff is just dirty. We're just going to toss it. Like, mm-hmm. they're not going to go and sift through and find, like, what's clean and what isn't.
0: Okay, that makes sense. That's some extra incentive, I guess, for people to be like, okay, I really do have to clean this. Yeah. Which, like, if you think about it, it's not really that much more work.
2: No, I, and I think most of the time, like, it, it you don't have to wash out a can. You can just dump it out, and that's mm-hmm. good enough. But it really – the biggest thing is, like, with food containers, a lot of the time can, or that are considered dirty just get tossed. And I think that's the biggest thing people see, like – if you see something, like if you order takeout and it comes in like a compostable or recyclable container, but there's like hummus left in it or whatever it is, and you don't rinse that out, that's not going to get recycled because it's dirty.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So what advice would you give to an individual who, I mean, other than doing research, like obviously when you look at this and you hear all of it's kind of like disconcerting it's to hear that like a lot of it's unsuccessful and then for a lot of people this would be a big adjustment, but where do you see this even going in the future? I'm sure like in 20 years, how will society do you think um, handle this differently?
2: Yeah. I think for people that are like concerned about recycling or feel like it's a lot of work to like keep it up, which it is, it kind of is a hardship. And I know like some people, if you don't have the time for it, it's it's understandable. I think the biggest thing to be honest is to not go zero waste, but to try and cut out as much kind of single use products, not just plastics in your life as possible. And that, after a while, becomes a pretty easy adjustment, I found. Like, because once you cut out. Yeah, I was (laughs) was getting into that. Once you kind of cut out the possibility for things to not end up in the waste stream, it becomes a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So, like, for me personally, when I started co-oping at at Living Proof and my last co-op, I was like, oh, like, I want to go zero waste or cut down a lot of my waste and I found the easiest way to do it was to kind of go room by room in my house if that makes sense okay. like I, st- I started out in the bathroom like so any like bathroom products or items I use I went from like something that was like a single use plastic like a deodorant stick like using Old Spice to they have ones now where you can just buy the deodorant pod and you keep the case and the pod is compostable so every time you run out you just put in a new pod and the old pod's compostable going from like cartridge razor blades which cannot be recycled unless you use a special company or service to regular single, not single use, but like straight razor metal mm-hmm. blades, which can get recycled a lot easier with other metals. Um, going from shampoo bottles to shampoo bars, which I know a lot are becoming much more in vogue now and popular. Yep. Going from like using uh, single use Windex bottles to going with something like a Blue Land product where you buy an acrylic spray bottle, which you can use forever, and just getting little refill tablets that you can just run water over and it turns it into Windex. And so I think going room by room is really easy to do that same thing in the kitchen like going from using saran wrap to using beeswax wraps or covers or like avocado covers things like that instead of using like ziploc sandwich bags use like reusable nylon bags Mm -hmm. um things like that and i think that kind of is the easiest way because it takes out once you invest like a little bit more money into it and you don't have to really worry or think about recycling as much anymore it it gets so much easier because it just becomes kind of part of your daily routine. I don't personally use anything with like Loop that's like subscription-based where you have to mail a product out and have refills come back, but I have friends that do it a lot Mm -hmm. and they do it with food products now too. They'll literally get a stainless steel pint of Ben & Jerry's ice cream, eat it, and then mail it back and it comes back to them brand new. And so I feel like there's drawbacks with that because there still are carbon emissions from the shipping of it back and forth, Mm -hmm. but an ice cream container, because of the material it's made out of where it's kind of like it's not plastic but it's also not paper those are impossible to be recycled mm-hmm. so i cutting that waste stream out versus just using cars where hundreds of thousands and millions of products get shipped in this country every single day yeah it's easier to cut out your individual waste on that level, than to try and do something with the carbon emissions.
0: Yeah. Right, like that car's probably still gonna make its trip to go deliver someone else, yeah. It's yeah. so, I so mean, picking the, your battles there. The UPS there. truck
2: stops in my house every single day, mm-hmm. brings somebody a package, so I mean, it's not like the worst thing in the world. Yeah,
1: that's a good point, though. that's something we've talked about a lot on the podcast too, is that it's almost picking the better of two evils a lot of the time, and for this, you gave a pretty, knowing, knowing more about sustainability and in this case recycling and knowing that a container wouldn't be recycled if it was a regular container, I feel like that's a really good example of being knowledgeable and understanding that, okay, while I am still adding to the carbon footprint of this company, this won't be recycled at all, will just sit in the landfill. So yeah, it's a great point. Absolutely, I think
2: I think a lot of stuff we've talked about this semester and what you guys have talked about in the podcast is like so much of this comes down to personal choice as a consumer mm-hmm. because there is a lot of inaction when it comes to like a corporate and government scale that it's okay to like feel guilty yeah. about using single use plastics and it's okay to use single use plastics sometimes just when if you are able to make the switch and have the option and you're willing to put in like the time and effort for it it definitely makes you feel better. Like, it yeah. definitely, like, I'm definitely conscious of, like, oh, I need more, you know, toothpaste tabs. Like, I've got to use that. I, I'm rather, I'm, you know, getting a little glass jar of them instead of using, you know, a, a tube and then a cardboard box, which neither of which can be recycled that yeah. easily.
0: Right, and it is important to note that it does take privilege to be able to, like, do the research and go out of your way to go to a specific grocery store to pick up something that's more sustainable or maybe buy it or whatever if you have a family or if you're working full-time or something. But if you are able to do it, you can also think of it like, You're doing it for someone who can't, too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think also, like, the financial aspect plays a large part in it as well. And what I found, though, which is kind of encouraging is for a lot of sustainable items, the initial investment is relatively high, but you end up saving money in the long run. Like, if you buy, for example, beeswax wraps, which are, like, an, uh, um, an alternative to... Tin foil or saran wrap, mm-hmm. a container of them is fairly expensive, I think like 10 to $15 for oh, several yeah. wraps. But when you think about it, you can have those for much longer than what a $2 roll of saran wrap will get you. And you can, like, the life cycle of that product way outlasts the life cycle of a single roll of saran wrap. Mm. Same thing with, like, even as something as easy as, like, using kitchen towels over paper towels, I think is a really easy way to cut down on waste in your own house because... Yeah. It goes along with the same thing. If you wipe down your stove
1: with a paper towel, there's no way that that paper's getting recycled because it's totally soiled because it's soaking wet.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Something that's really interesting with what you've told us today and like kind of your, not evolution I think could be dramatic, but kind of your strides to be more sustainable in your day to day life is that you were influenced by a private company. And I think something today that we often don't see is we are told to hold private companies accountable, which I think we should, and also just criticize them a lot, but in your story, we kind of see the impact of a company that's going as a pos- in a positive direction. Do you think that that influence will continue to affect people? Or is it just because you worked with that company, you feel more connected to what you're learning about?
2: Yeah, and I think like for me personally, I was coming from a place of like no knowledge, mm-hmm. um, so I think any kind of positive influence was gonna or positive impact was gonna force me way more into that world, which was good. Um, in the case of Living Proof, I will say there still are quite a lot of shortcomings with the company. Mm-hmm. There are still goals that they're striving to meet, and you sometimes have to cut corners when it comes to cost. You know, we were still getting our bottles from China or Italy, and having this stuff come overseas, which uses a massive amount of energy, whether it's coming on a boat or a plane. Yeah. But I do think like companies are smart now, and they understand that sustainability and environmental consciousness is kind of in vogue right now, mm-hmm. and I think even though that they are using that to have to like their own monetary gain i think it's better than them kind of not acknowledging it whatsoever and leaving consumers in the dark mm-hmm. and even just saying hey we know we're not perfect at this but these are the options you can take to do this there are other options out here and even if people choose not to support them it's still kind of in their minds like hmm maybe i shouldn't you know use this plastic bottle of suave shampoo every time i want to take a shower maybe i should yeah. switch to a bar or maybe i should switch to something that is a little bit more expensive, but is better for the earth, things like that.
0: Yeah. No, definitely, and like you were saying, private companies' first priority is making profits, but they are also starting to notice that a lot of their target audience is kind of starting to age out, and Gen Z is becoming more and more of um, an age bracket that is Consumers, consuming these yeah. products themselves instead of having their parents buy something for them and stuff, so they're preparing for that to try and be like at the head of their industry to reach that market as fast as they can too. Mm -hmm. So, although like on an individual level, it's really easy to feel like we can't make a difference there and like, it's not like the whole responsibility should be placed on us, but it does make a difference if everyone did choose to switch one product that would do something.
2: Yeah, and purchasing power definitely is something that companies are aware of, I think. Like you hear, I mean, you hear a lot about it a lot during election time and like things like that, where, where candidates or political people are getting money from certain companies and people feel like the, you know, the X dollar, has an effect on it, whether it's you know, the white dollar, the black dollar, like the male dollar, the, the child dollar, things like that. Like mm-hmm. people do hold power when it comes to purchasing things and investing in companies that way. Um, so I think that's a great point.
1: So you've given a lot of advice at this point, honestly, and I can do 10 things in my life now to be more sustainable and more um recycling-minded in my day-to-day life. I guess at this point, that <laughs> just, was such yeah, a su- bad term. Sustainably-minded. Sustainably-minded. <laughs> I think sustainably
2: when I minded. tell people about net that impact, that's what I say. Is I say we try to have have people become, be more sustainably-minded and conscious of their impact. Yeah.
0: Life. Right, you first think it's like, oh, a bunch of tree-huggers, <laughs> and you realize that it's actually no, very interconnected into all levels of society.
1: Absolutely.
0: Especially, like, day-to-day purchases and yeah. just, like, yeah. activities. Yeah.
1: So instead of advice, and what would you want to leave like with the listeners after all you've talked about in your co-op and your experiences how that trickles into your personal life what would something you would want to leave people with yeah i think i think i would say like
2: it's hard to go zero waste Mm -hmm. it's very hard to go zero waste it's very easy to cut down on a lot of your individual waste day-to-day. Mm-hmm. If it's something you really are passionate about and have a concern about, and if it's something that keeps you up at night, it's very easy to make a couple of changes and to really cut down your day-to-day waste. Um, even if it's one or two products, I think. And, it, and, you know, it might not be much, but on a personal level, it definitely does make you feel good that you can say, like, you know, I support this company because they have shared values with me. And mm-hmm. I think that my purchasing of this versus another brand or another product, I can somewhat say has a tangible impact on the environment and on the earth. And I think that that is pretty cool and pretty powerful. And like that, it definitely like take the first step, you know, whether it's just doing one or two things like switching to metal razor blades or buying beeswax wraps or like even bring a tote bag or a reusable water bottle, which I know everybody has nowadays, mm-hmm. I think like, once you kind of get one foot in the door and you keep learning about it and researching and understanding like that we do have a waste issue in this country and that things need to be changed like it becomes much more personal than just what you see on the news and read about
0: no definitely i've definitely learned so much from you today no honestly this conversation i'm really impressed (laughs) And I have also a few, like, action items for myself. Like, I'm definitely going to research drop-off locations mm-hmm. and some products I can switch in my own life. It's also fun to try new products yeah. always. Oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. And I mean, like, it's such a – what's cool, I think, about it as well, like, what we do at Net impact is there it, there's so much that's constantly changing, and we have so many people in the club and on Northeastern's campus that have experience and backgrounds from all around the world in all disciplines. Like, there are people that know way more than I do. There are people that know – things that I don't know about recycling in totally different fields, like mm-hmm. talking about, I, I don't know if you guys have had anybody on about like green energy and sustainable energy, but like talking about how batteries get recycled, that's something totally different that I didn't even, that we didn't even touch on today. Yeah. That is like another huge issue in the, in the recycling world that we could talk, I'm sure, for another, like another hour about. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's how we feel when we end every podcast. It's, it's just, just like, <laughs> okay, we do have to wrap it up at some point, but <laughs> the topic could go on and on forever, yeah. which is awesome.
1: Yeah. And for context, Ben is working at a, battery company yeah or it's a battery and energy startup um so i'm
2: working now at a company called 24m technologies and they do what's called a semi-solid state lithium ion batteries so i don't know what see. that means either <laughs> <laughs> just trying to create batteries that are more efficient more sustainable that's what i'll say for now awesome
0: and then you'll have a third co-op and maybe we can have you back on oh my gosh that would be a great one to get free products from <laughs> But thank you so much for coming on. Of
2: course, thank you guys. This has yeah, been awesome. thank this you. Was super fun. This, is great. this has been awesome.
0: And as always, <laughs> thank <laughs> you to <laughs> our editor Greg and to our graphic designer and marketer Brandon.
1: Yeah, thank you guys very much and Ben, thanks for coming on. Thanks guys.
0: We'll see you next week on Brace for Impact.